This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Jason Cooper. Jason is a native of Memphis, Tennessee, and played his first professional gig at 11 years old. Since then, he has gone on to play in many local bands and has traveled the country playing for numerous acts. He also played in almost 40 professional theater productions, including Dream Girls, Footloose, The Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, and Into the Woods. He has done numerous recording sessions for artists in the U.S., Canada, and throughout Europe. After many years of slugging away in the unpredictable world of the music business, Jason decided to take a break from it all and go back to school and earn a degree that led him to a job as an x-ray technician. Today, he splits his time between his quote-unquote day job and maintaining a solid roster of clients from all over the world, providing drum tracks from his home studio. If you're interested in finding out more about this episode and all of the over 250 episodes that we've done here at Working Drummer Podcast, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Stitcher, iTunes, where you can subscribe to us. You can also follow us and subscribe to us on Spotify. Check us out there. If Patreon isn't your thing, then we have a PayPal option on our website. You can go there and make a one-time donation. We appreciate everyone's help over the years in keeping this podcast going strong. Here's my co-host, Zach Albetta, tearing it up with a 7x15 buyer snare drum. So Jason is another one of those players that we were introduced to by our good friend James Byer, who's been a huge cheerleader of this podcast and makes amazing snare drums, if you haven't already heard. Uh, but it was really great to speak with Jason. One of the things that I appreciated about Jason was his honesty about how he makes a living and his decisions to go back and earn a degree. And sometimes that's a tough thing to come to terms with. When we work in an industry that's so ego-driven, Jason is no slouch behind the drums. There's many uh, Instagram videos that you can find of him performing. That's another thing that I appreciate about him is he is honest about how little he knows about the gear that he's using when he's tracking at home and, of course, how we're all learning to use that gear. But it's not the answer to a great performance or a great recording and you hear that so he's starting from a great foundation and uh it was just good to get to know jason a little bit more and i hope you enjoy this conversation with jason cooper i think anybody that's been playing long enough has had uh at least some sort of run-in with the physical consequences of what we do yeah. you know um you know and and that's why that's why the, the you know the, the Weckles, the Perts, you know the Vinnies, those guys—they all ran to Freddie Gruber back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, because it is—it's so demanding. Uh, my thing is, my hands go numb sometimes um, when I play really fast and really loud, and 
it's so funny. I fool so many people because they, they, they say that I look like, and I sound like I'm really relaxed, but I tell you on the inside, <laughs> I'm always a nervous wreck. I'm micromanaging every downbeat, every upbeat. Uh, where's the bass player? Where am I? Yeah. Where's the click? Yeah. And I tense up and, and it takes its toll, um, over, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, I, my right forearm was a mess for a long time and I actually figured out what that was and it would it would pop almost like a sprain it would pop and there's a muscle in my forearm and a tendon over my right thumb and my crash symbol I was using some DW flush base hardware which is amazing for getting in and out of you know gigs right but the symbol was so low that I was hyper extending every time I crashed the symbol mm -hmm. I was Wherever the symbol should have been, I had to go past that and and really extend my my uh, forearm and and turn my wrist and you don't notice it until you do you know and so I fixed that um, and my my left hand from years of rim shots again being tight and nervous and freaking out like I always do. Um, and I'm, I don't feel any shame in admitting that. I'm always a nervous wreck when I play. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> so so you're in Nashville. You're familiar with Garrett Goodwin? Oh, Garrett, yes. He's been a guest on our show. Yeah. Oh, what a brother. What a what a what a saint. What a dog. Oh man, he's just he's so good. Uh my first teacher in Nashville helped me figure out that I could actually play drops. Who Garrett and, was? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd already quit playing, flushed it, walked away. Uh, tons and tons of doubt and self-criticisms and, and uh, without even asking him to do so, he helped me work through that. But anyway, so his drum set, if you are familiar with him, yeah. his drum set's pretty unique. His snare drums are really at a really funky angle. It's almost on the floor. Mm -hmm. um, so I set my drums up like that. To mock him, it wasn't any respectful thing. It was I was <laughs> I was making fun of him, but it took my left pain, my left hand pain away. Yeah. So I thought, okay, all right, well, so much for the mocking. Um, and I played with my snare like that for two and a half years as part of rehab. As, as maybe rehab's too strong of a word, but it put my hand in a in a position where it was natural. And the backbeat landed perfectly, uh, which again, that's Garrett, the backbeat. Everything's the backbeat with him um, to great effect. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a long-winded answer. But, yeah, man, I, you know, it, it creeps up on you. You know, posture, sitting too high, sitting too low. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where's the music stand? Are you doing a three-hour gig? I was doing a theater gig years ago, and the drum set was expansive. It was a big, over-the-top show, and I could barely – hold my head up and I realized that I was sitting with my, my head rotated to the left for three hours a night. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, so I had to fix that, you know, part of the show. I think the reason why I wanted to ask you is, is you addressed it right at the top of that. You said when a lot of people see you, you look very relaxed, you sound relaxed, your tones that you're getting out of the drum sound great. And that comes from a relaxed approach. And so I was curious like, well, if you've dealt with it, how did you come out of it? 
and um, a lot of the things you're talking about, kind of the intensity, the 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 mind going several different places. Am I locking in with the bass player? How does my stick landing on the snare drum? Is it getting the tone consistent? You know, all those things that stress us out and give us that, um, you know, that look on our face, kind of like that Neil Peart was always accused of, like he was being miserable. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true, though. You're right. I mean... And, and and the more you do this, the more you have to pay attention to the signs that your body's giving you. Um, you know, yeah. okay, your forearm is hurting. You're you're popping a tendon in your thumb. All right, man, let's let's pay attention. Let's fix these things. Yeah. Um, and you you just have to be smart. You know that whole no pain, no gain. That's rubbish. Dude, ex- I mean, that's one of the things with this uh, massage therapist I was talking to yesterday. I said, I think that's one of the things that I am content that that I contend with often is, for lack of a better term, kind of growing up in this culture of toxic masculinity where no pain, no gain, fight through it. You know, all these things that at a certain age is rubbish. It's like, no, you you need to if you want to play for a long time, you need to see what did Weckl do? You know, when you look at him early on and then you look at him now, this change, you look at the pain that, I mean, speaking of these these players that you mentioned that went to Gruber, you know, look at what, what how Neil, I mean, I'm such a big fan of, of Neil Peart, but like watching him play was sometimes painful, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and also, you know, Neil, one of the most, you know, phenomenal drummers of our lifetime, uh, also stepped back and humbled himself and said and said very publicly and made a video about it about how he went back and revamped his technique. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, the whole thing about masculinity, there's nothing really manly or masculine about denying pain or ignoring pain. In fact, that's rather juvenile. There you go. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just kind of juvenile. Uh, you know, I think you know, being a man or masculine or whatever word you want to use, it's about recognizing issues and stepping up whether they're personal or community or national or whatever you know and again that that could go into a, <laughs> a whole other podcast but but yeah i mean you just recognize things you know and 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 deal with them um in a in a productive way you know and and uh right. you know, all of our favorite drummers did that you know if you play drums you're a human being <laughs> and it's bound to become a topic at some point yeah yeah no, that's great. It sounds like uh, to kind of you know wrap up this this little part is just it's it's great to to know that you you're, you've made some changes in your setup, uh, either drastic or slight, to um, to address those. Is that uh, is that a good synopsis or is that? No, it's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, and again, it just <laughs> the breakthrough for me was figuring out that the flush base hardware did not put the symbol where I needed it. So yes, it's lighter. It's easier on your back, which is great. But every time I hit that that symbol, I was hyperextending my wrist. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, and then again trying to mock my buddy Gary Goodwin <laughs> and finding finding out that, you know, hey, uh maybe the guy knows something. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when we when we spoke when when Garrett was a guest on our show, this was a few years ago and I you know, remember talking about the drum set being such a young instrument and we're all still trying to figure it out you know how what what the what a good setup is and and the rules are still 
still really vague, uh, you know. Well, the, the, the hardware is getting much better. Yeah. Um, there's no excuse for anything on the drum set not being where it's comfortable. Uh, there's, there's, you know, for telephones, they say, well, there's an app for that. Well, in drums, we will say, well, there's a clamp for that. <laughs> That's right. There's, there's always something that helps you be more comfortable. Now, the trade-off is the hardware is heavier. Um, you know, I, when I worked at Memphis Drum Shop, we would load up kits for, you know, bands that come through town. We would do backline and cartage and drum teching, and we would send out road cases with 10 uh, 9,700 boom stands. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it'll make you weep. I know. You know, of course, what do you do with 10 cymbal stands? I don't know. But, you know, um, if somebody else is moving it, that's not your problem. Right. You right. Know, so, so, again, the whole thing about ergonomics is a big deal. Um, the drum thrones are more comfortable. They're drum thrones specifically for helping your spine. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of things out there and it does take time. I mean, I've been playing for 36, 37 years and I'm still always adjusting and searching and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, uh, part of the joy in it is that there's always more to learn, there's always new directions to discover, and um, yeah, it's great. A, f- a friend of mine's wife said, "Do you ever get sick of just playing and practicing?" I'm like, "This is this is a big part of of life, you know, and just discovering." And yeah, I mean, there are days that I may not feel completely up to leaving the house and going to a a, a gig or a crappy gig or something like that. But man, when I get ready to play, I, I, there's something still inside me that sparks. Oh man! I mean, how would you? How would you not? I mean, and 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 why did? I'll ask you this: Why did you start playing drums? When, when was the decision for you to start playing? Yeah, I think it just. Well, I was very young, and I think I just I wanted to be I wanted to be in band in school with my friends, and I I made the mistake of thinking, what's the easiest thing? I don't have to learn scales; I just have to hit something. <laughs> Right. Yeah, me too, me too, man. <laughs> and 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 that was my first mistake. Uh, well, that was a mistake, but at the same time, it, it opened the door into wow, I really like this. And then it just grew into something, you know. Well, see, see, that's that's almost everybody's answer. You were young. It has something to do with some sort of socialist uh, socialization, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just you know. Just drums are cool, and you don't know why. When you're a kid, why are drums cool? I don't know. I just want to play some drums, mm-hmm. and that's what I did. My dad, my dad played in rock bands and country bands in Mississippi. My mom played piano, um, and when I would watch dad's band practice, dad, you know, dad was a guitar player, but I would watch the drummer. There was something about that guy, or, or you know, whoever was playing, that was just really cool. Um, and you can't even articulate it, and it doesn't really need to be articulated. It's just a passion, and when that's when that that little spark lights up, yeah, you'll you'll spend the rest of your life contending with it. Yeah, you know, I've seen people kick drugs. I've seen people kick all kinds of habits. I've never seen anybody kick drums. <laughs> uh-uh. No. I think we're preaching. I think we're preaching to the choir here, man. Absolutely. I, our listeners are like. E- Yes, we know. Okay, we know that. <laughs> we have a problem. We know that. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't want to go too far without thanking James Beyer for connecting us. 
He's been uh, a champion for this podcast in the last uh, year or so. We've um, had a great time establishing that relationship and trying to expose our friends and our listeners to these great snare drums that he makes. And um, mm-hmm. so I thank him again. He's kind of been the MVP in the last six months of our podcast, uh, introducing us to uh, some wonderful players that we've wanted to have as guests and uh, yourself included here. So I wanted to make that mention. Oh, and, and, and absolutely. You know, Jim, Jim is a saint, man. Jim is one of the good guys. And he, you know, that guy's, that guy's talked me back off the cliff a couple of times, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's just such, he's such a, 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 a resource. Not only, of course, his drums are phenomenal. I mean, his drums are sick. I mean, they're sick. Um, but he's just an excellent example of humanity at its finest. Um, he and I have had some very candid conversations, things that he probably would not share with other people. Um, he's just a really solid dude. And, and, you know, when you play his drums, not only do you sound great, but you know that you're representing a, a fabulous citizen. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get too philosophical about it, but Jim's one of the guys that makes me hate the word endorsement. Everybody's tripping over themselves to get an endorsement. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even like that word anymore. And Jim's one of the reasons why. I, you know, I have a relationship with buyer drums. Yeah. Um, and a damn good one. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, again, it's so weird because I met him through Garrett. Okay. And then he, you know, I've reached out, sent him a message. He messaged back and on and on and on. And and now I've never met the man, but I do love him. I love him dearly. He's a good dude. Yeah. And his drums are second to none. I'll say this too, uh, for anybody listening. If you don't own a buyer snare drum, <laughs> you are missing out. Right. Woo. Yeah. It is interesting. You know, I mean, I think just he's a good example of, uh, you know, reaching out and making connections in an honest way that is uh, oftentimes lacking in this industry. Mm. Uh, a, f- a friend of mine uh, who's a hilarious guitar player uh, has this thing, and it's hard to do in this audio uh, format, but he calls it the Nashville handshake. And basically what it is is when you go in for the handshake, you look past the person to look for the other person that might be more important than, you know, you're at a party and you walk up to somebody. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? And you're not even looking at them. You're scanning the room for someone more important to shake their hand, you know? <laughs> so to me, James is kind of like, he's the antithesis of that. Um, it's been a, it's been a, a, a good connection for us and uh, really enjoy his drums. And I'm so happy to discover them, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, tell me what's been happening, man, with uh, with this time. I, we're recording uh, about seven p.m. on on a Wednesday, and you were working earlier. And we'll we'll talk about this at your uh, work as an X-ray technician. Uh, but I I, I want to find out what you've been doing and how you've been managing your work as a drummer during COVID. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm very fortunate. Um, we're busy. 
uh, at work. X-rays are happening. They uh, surgeries are happening. I work at an outpatient neurosurgery clinic, and we do nerve blocks. We do uh, all kinds of spine surgeries. And um, one thing about a pandemic, it, it doesn't keep people from hurting, and it doesn't stop the necessity to deal with that pain. Yeah. As opposed to a restaurant where if you lose today's lunch crowd, you have lost it forever. Right. Uh, you know, if somebody has a back back problem and they can't make their surgery because we're closed for whatever reasons, they're still going to be hurting when we when we open, and that's that's one of the realities of what we do. So the work is still there. Um, now, as far as music goes, it, music slowed down for a lot of reasons because people are scrambling trying to figure out other creative ways to generate income. And there, you know, a lot of guys are doing online lessons, which is brilliant. Um, uh, for me, I, you know, and I don't teach. Uh, I did for a long time, and I realized that there are people that do it better, and young players deserve the best teacher they could have, and I just realized I wasn't the best teacher. Hmm. So the thing about sessions slowing down is that people had to really be uh, careful with their money. It's hard, to, it's hard to invest in your music, no matter how much you believe in it, when you don't know what next week is going to bring. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, but it's still happening. You know, I'm still having conversations with people in Australia and, uh, uh, the Netherlands and, uh, Germany and Canada and LA and blah, blah, blah. You know, people are still sending me work. Um, it's just less the, the thing for it. The thing about it for me is that I do have a quote unquote real job. Yeah. By the way, when I played professionally, that's the hardest I've ever worked in my life. It's not the glossy pages of modern drummer. Right. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's it's not. It's it's a lot of work. It's it's schlepping, it's waiting on the phone to ring, it's making the phone ring, it's canceled gigs, it's you know, it's all of that, and nobody gets that unless you're in it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the chicks in limousines. It, mm. it's just it's just not. So I'm so fortunate. And I'll also say this, and I'm not gonna give names. But when I first got on Instagram and I began to see if I would ever play drums again and if my drumming was relevant in any way, um, I reached out to some guys in Nashville because in my mind, Nashville was the place. Everybody in Nashville had their act together and had wisdom to share. Hmm. And the guys that were real with me, not the blowhards, the guys that were real, they were like, dude, go home, go to work. You have what we want. You have a 401k, you have profit sharing, you have insurance, you have steady income, you have what we want. And one guy uh, even said, he says, you know, if the guys that I play for, and he's a national, international touring drummer, he's a phenomenal dude, um, but I'm still going to leave his name out, even though I love him dearly. Mm -hmm. He told me, he says, look, man, if these guys at the front of the stage decide to be actors or comedians or whatever, I'm out of a gig and I'm not going to go anywhere else anytime soon and make this kind of money. Sure. Yeah. If, if my place closes, there will be x-rays elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Now that's not very rock star of me to say that that's not very glamorous, but when the mortgages do, I got it. I got what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And his advice was to go home, build a studio, do not quit your job. And if your success spills over into music, so be it. But don't you quit your job. Mm -hmm. So now fast forward two years, COVID hits, 
And needless to say, we've had more conversations since then. Yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, And I also feel like that perspective spills over into those that uh, aren't relying on major touring to provide income. So it could still be a part of drumming, a part of the music industry, whether it's uh, teaching or home studio. Um, a, a friend of ours, Brian Stevens, who's been a guest on as well and lives in Atlanta, he is producing and uh, marketing different types of useful things. So I feel like he's got his hand. I mean, he's diversifying. So as an example, uh, where, you know, it's it's not a non-music thing, just trying to counterbalance what you're saying with um, maybe those that want to kind of address the reality of gigs and the uh, how sometimes they can be um, – anything can change. I mean, I, when I first moved to town, uh, my good friend Trey Gray – Lost his gig. Trey yeah. <laughs> Lost what his gig. Yes. He, uh, Faith Hill decided not to tour or make a change, and all of a sudden he was out of a gig. And, and I remember my wife saying, Now, wait a minute. You can be the drummer for Faith Hill and then tomorrow not have a gig? Is that, or is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. That's exactly, yeah. that's exactly it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes being a professional musician means that you're unemployed while you're gigging, you know, you're, you're just, what are you doing? Well, I'm gigging today. What's tomorrow? Well, I'm not sure about tomorrow yet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, man, you gotta be brave. Yeah. I mean, you gotta be brave and, and maybe a little crazy, maybe a little stubborn. Mm-hmm. And I never, I, I just never really was brave enough. Uh, I was crazy enough and stubborn enough, but maybe just not brave enough to step out like that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Jason, we, we've had, we're coming upon 300 episodes of this podcast. And one thing that I can tell you is everybody's story is unique. Everybody's story is different. And I've spoken to uh, many drummers and many musicians that are in the exact, have this exact same perspective and mindset that you do and found their relationship with music and the business and drumming or whatever. That's healthy and perfect for them. And then there's the other, and then there's the other side of people that are scraping things together or have had a a certain level of consistency that is unique. And we try and make sure that people understand, look, this is a unique situation or our heroes that we read about in modern drummer all these years, sometimes are struggling in the same ways. And so they're, publishing books or they're teaching at a collegiate level or they're finding creative ways. Um, it's all, it's that, that's why I think that was one of the reasons why I was excited to talk to you because I'm, I'm, you're, you're, you're kind of finding your version of success. Well, success, <clears throat> success is, um, a strange word, yeah. uh, b- because, it's like Marcus Finney said. He was so wise in saying this to me. Marcus Finney said, you cannot quantify success in music. Um, when I went back to get my degree, clearly there was the first day of class. And then four day, four years later, there was the last day of class. And then there was graduation. You had completed this. You were successful. 
that's it. Not so much in music, you know, and again, you know, see, I'm, I just turned 45. So I grew up in the MTV era where success looked like double bass Pearl drum sets. It looked like private jets and buses and groupies and champagne and all of that. That's what success looked like. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I got to a point in life where, first of all, I missed that whole MTV era. By the time I was on the scene, it was over. But <laughs> for me, by the time I could define success for myself, I was I was at a healthy place as an adult. Success for me means playing music on a high level with people that I respect. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, here's the other thing too. What I didn't realize at the time, you know, I think I'm seeing success on MTV with all these bands, but you know, what I wasn't seeing or realizing was the broken marriages, the drug abuse, the financial ruin, the loneliness of the road, all those other things. See, I never had to deal with any of that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could, and and I've, I've, thought about this. I've had years to think about this, but I, I do believe in some way God was protecting me from myself by never giving me those opportunities. Now, maybe that's a cop out. Maybe that's maybe that's me just admitting defeat in a, you know, some kind of positive way. I, I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. I, I can really I can really look at anybody in the face and go, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm putting out great product to people that appreciate me. Um I'm playing music on a high level with people that I respect. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, and again, back to, back to like, you know, Garrett Goodwin, you know, when, when Garrett said, dude, you could do this, you're good enough. You know, I had to really figure out how to deal with those doubts in my mind. He did that. He did that and, and helped me understand that I could pursue things on my own terms and define success on my own terms. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I remember, and again, right before I moved to Nashville, I was talking to my sister and she said, you know, I'm, I'm really worried about you. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm just afraid that if you don't get on MTV, this is, I mean, keep in mind, this is 1999. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, if I'm afraid, like, if you don't make it like on MTV that you're going to feel let down. I'm like, you don't, do you understand? I, I want to be in the music business it could be i mean you i'm i'm in four bands right now i i'm teaching i'm working at a great drum store i'm in the music business there's yeah. there's so much more to it and that has stayed with me because as a d- desire to balance family and and the music business has has forced me to kind of balance that thing in a really healthy way and also know that there are musicians and drummers that are just like me in the trenches working, balancing, and, you know, doing all the wonderful things that make drumming worthwhile and and how to earn a, a living or part of a living from it. I think it's, I think it's really important to expose that to people that have aspirations for uh, playing wanting to wanting to drum and wanting to make music uh, a part of their life. Right. And, and every, you know, it depends on the individual. It depends on, on what they're after. Are you yep. after, and again, look at social media. Are you, are you looking for endorsements? Is that your version of success? Uh, right. Are you looking for a hundred thousand followers? Are you looking for the positive 
you know, at a boy comments, uh, it, it just, everybody's a little bit different. Um, two words you said earlier, and, and uh, maybe, maybe we'll camp out here just a moment longer, but you said the words family and balance. Mm-hmm. So let me just share this quick story. This was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me. So I left Memphis Drum Shop in 06, played around town for a couple of years. I got a phone call from a friend of mine to go to Europe and play with a bass player, a, a blues guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was potentially potentially the opportunity that I had always wanted. All right, so we're going to fly around, backline, catering, blah, blah, blah. Just a couple of years earlier was my first trip to the Sabian factory. And I remember talking to my daughter. She's, she's downstairs now. She's a sophomore in high school. But at the time, she was about two and a half years old. And I remember her getting on the phone. I was in a hotel, and she said, Daddy, why won't you come home? Mm. Not when will you be home, but why won't you come home? So fast forward. Okay, so this guy this guy calls me. There's a, there's a gig in Europe. I'll be gone for, for three and a half, four weeks. It was a tour, man. It was, was going to be a, a good deal. And those words still rang in my ear. Daddy, why won't you come home? And I thought, man, I'm about to make a single mother out of my wife. Yeah. So – I asked some friends about who were touring drummers. Uh, you know, uh, a friend of mine here in town, Bill Marshall, played with Hank Jr. forever. A phenomenal human being, phenomenal drummer. And his comment to me was, let you let me give you my ex-wives numbers. You can talk to all of them. About <laughs> yeah. And as soon as he said that, I knew the right answer. I declined the tour and enrolled at school to get an x-ray degree. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until much, much later that I even started playing again. So after you, when you left to go, when, when you decided to get your degree, you stopped playing altogether? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. The last two years, no, for two years I could play, maybe do a theater gig or, you know, whatever. But the last two years we have clinical rotations. Mm-hmm. I, I took, uh, and I was very fortunate. I had a student job here at Labonte Children's Hospital, which is a level one trauma center for children. There was a time when I was taking X-rays seven days a week. Wow. Um, I was busy. I was busy, and in order to, and in order to have that success, I couldn't play music. Um, and I really enjoyed the break, actually. Okay. Yeah. And when did you start playing again? I started playing. See, I graduated in 2012. Uh, I guess it was around, I, 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 maybe, I don't know, 2015, maybe. I uh, was doing uh, some stuff with a band down at the casinos. We were awful. God, we were awful. But man, we made a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, Isn't that man. funny how that works? <laughs> oh, it's, it, there's certainly a pattern, indeed. <laughs> Some sort of Venn diagram that that, that works on. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's dreadful. But but yeah. So we would go to the casinos uh, and, and make money and do a wedding thing and all that. And then uh, that had run its course, and uh, I just kind of put it down for a while. I was kind of burnt out. Um, and and the other thing too was when I went back to the casinos, it was the same people playing the same songs in the same bands with the same sound, same smell, same food. <laughs> and, and I realized, and again, I'm not bashing anybody, you know, if, if you're paying your bills, playing the casinos and you're having a good time, go for it. But for me personally, I thought I could play Mustang Sally down here for the rest of my life and never accomplish anything. Yeah. Um, 
so I just kind of walked away. It was stagnant. I was going through the motions. And it wasn't until 2017 that a friend of mine really kind of got in my face and told me that I was being selfish for not playing drums. Wow. And uh, then I got on Instagram and just kind of got out there. So, so you used Instagram to kind of get things rolling in a direction with playing that you... Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was not much more than, you know, a message in a bottle thrown into the ocean, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize, and I guess maybe I still don't realize how big Instagram is. Right. So I'd post a video, I would tag this, hashtag that, blah, blah, blah. And, and put the videos out there. But I, got, I did get responses immediately. Um, and, uh, you know, mainly from drummers, you know, that was that were enjoying what I was doing. And um, then it got to where people called and said, hey, I've got a track. Would you be interested in, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So the, the guitar players, songwriters started calling me. But it was all because of Instagram. And, and I need to get a website. I need to get a YouTube channel. I'm terrible about that. And at some point, I'm going to have to do that um, because that's the next logical step. You know, everybody asks if I've got a YouTube channel, but I just don't. So, so anything. So, so you, the reason you're talking to me right now is completely because of Instagram, right? I, and we've had guests like that before. Uh, Kip Allen is a great example of somebody that's done some really great work and had some great experiences and successes utilizing uh, Instagram. And he's mm-hmm. like 27 years old. <laughs> so well, when I see that, I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense to me. But here well, you are I, telling me, you're like, look, I'm in my 40s, but I have this experience. I'm going to use this platform to create the kind of career in with with drumming that i want well you know I, it wasn't that articulate at the beginning it, it was just kind of like <laughs> well let me just see if this will work just go you with know, me was, jay just pretend like it was that's right. all well, planned when, out. <laughs> I laid out my, when i laid out my diagram of success yeah that's I mean, right so but you know the thing is there is some reality to that man i'm a middle-aged dude with a gray beard okay <laughs> i'm i'm not the sexiest thing on social media you know so so I do have to contend with the fact that, you know, social media is visually driven. So the fact that I've had any success at all, hopefully, is a testament to my music. Sure. Because it's not my stunning good looks. <laughs> camera angles, man. It's all about the camera angles. You better believe it. <laughs> Oy. And plenty of sleep. And plenty of sleep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I'd love to know more about what you learned when you first started sending tracks or doing tracks for for people that actually paid, not just the thumbs up from drummers or whoever, but from the songwriters and the guitar players. Uh, to mm-hmm. me, those are the, that's the important stuff. Well, that's that's what it's all about. I mean, it's again depending on what you want to do. You know, I mean. Um, I had a okay because I have to throw this in because it'll paint a better picture. I had a, a conversation in Nashville with some kind of big daddy producer, and I'm a terrible person because I've forgotten his name, but he was very kind to me, and I kind of gave him my spiel. This is who I am. This is what I'm trying to do. What are your thoughts? He said, and and I'll quote. He said, 
take your ass back to Memphis. Hmm. He said that. He said that. He says, I would never hire you up here. He says, even if you sat, even if you quit your job and sat by the phone and waited, waited for me to call, you're three hours away and you would have to load your drums up. He says, I can get a, a 20 or 30 year old somebody here in Nashville to stop driving their Uber long enough to come do me a session for 30 bucks. Hmm. He says, I'm, he said, I would never hire you. He goes, sure, you're great. I'm not going to hire you. And nobody else is either. Hmm. And then he put his finger in my chest. He was he was he was abusively helpful, man. He was really man. There was no nonsense with this cat. Put his finger in my chest, and he said, "Go home and build your studio." He says, "If you're successful in Memphis, and then you happen to spill back into Nashville, so be it. But if you stay in Nashville like this, you will fail." Hmm. So I came back home and I converted my room. Yeah, and that was a a daunting process because everybody will tell you that there's a right and a wrong way to do it. And I think everybody's way is different. Sure. Um, and everybody's, everybody's way is both right and both wrong, depending sure. on, on how you want to look at it. So I've got, you know, the Owens Corning sound treatment. I've got the RLX platform riser. I've got SE electronic mics. I've got these things. I still got to get attracted to somebody. So they called, a guy called me from the Netherlands. It was brilliant. He says, hey, man, I really like your stuff. Um, would you be interested in doing some tracks? I said, of course. And and my trade-off with Bart, his name's uh, Bart Dietorst, and uh, the trade-off was, hey, man, I'll do your tracks for free, but you can't complain if they're bad. <laughs> okay, so so I sent him tracks. He goes, man, your tracks are good. Everything's good. And he gave me feedback in that way. So he allowed me to play music, to send real drum tracks to a real guy making a real album. And it was a learning situation, not necessarily professional, because I wasn't getting paid to do it. But he really helped me get things off the ground. And then another guy called me. I was in the kitchen downstairs one night. He says, man, your levels are way too hot. Hmm. Okay. And in fact, that cat paid me. I had money in the account before I even had stems from him. So I offered him, I said, hey, man, I will refund your money. He goes, no, 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 you keep the money. Let me tell you how to fix it because I'm going to use you again. Yeah. And he did. So he told me about setting level to, levels because I grew up in the, in the analog era. This is digital. So I had to learn the difference in how to set levels. And once I got that, learn how to set them very conservatively, I probably did another 13 or 14 tracks for the guy. Right. So it is daunting. And there's a little piece. <laughs> let me be goofy for just a moment. There's a little piece of yourself that you send with every email. Oh, yeah. You know, I hope it's good. I hope they're happy. You know, I hope this, that, and the other. But I'll tell you, man, part of the good stuff is working for people that, again, I appreciate. They respect me. I respect them. And uh, it's been great. I'm lucky. I'm a lucky dude. Nobody's ripped me up yet. <laughs> but I think that a lot of drummers are in this position, especially over the last six months as everyone has started to find creative ways to continue to work. So everyone's kind of been upping their game. I know I've been doing that. I've up upgraded a lot of equipment and to try and do more. Uh, my co-host Zach has been doing the same. And uh, 
But for the first time in a long time, drummers are asked to be engineers and somewhat producers and all these things. And if someone really wants to work with you and you're bringing that creative element and the drumming to the table that works for them as a, as a producer or a songwriter, then I think you can tap into a, a valuable resource in that person that has probably more recording experience and engineering experience than you do. And why not utilize that learning experience the way you have? I, I've, I've had the opportunity as well. And then, but I, but I think what's really important is the language that you use when you communicate, uh, especially, okay, here's this track. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy with this, but let me know if it's working. And, and I'll tell you one thing that's worked really well with a producer I've been working with is that I'll do like one or two quick passes, send him a rough mix because he'll be producing for another person, another songwriter. The personalities are all over the map. And say, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I can say, hey, how does this, how, am I in the ballpark? And uh, sometimes they're like, oh, no, we're looking for more of this. So I'm not spending a ton of time working on it. Or if they're like, that's it. Yeah, send it over. And I'll be like, okay, well, let me get a really good take of it. <laughs> Yeah, and, absolutely. And, you know, and, and make sure that my levels are good, and then I'll get you. But that's that's been the um, the new way of tracking has been we have this distance. We're not all in the room together where you're running down the ideas, and the person says, okay, no, 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 I'm not thinking of that. I'm thinking of that. And then in the moment, in real time, you're making those changes. We don't have that luxury when you're recording remotely. And no, so, we don't. Yeah, so you have to learn to... Uh, manage your time better. Uh, other, otherwise, man, I, gosh, I put out, uh, spent a lot of time working on some tracks and adding percussion and doing all this stuff. And then they're like, oh, he, that's completely opposite of what this person's looking for. Yeah. Well, and that happens. And that's, that's part of the process. Yeah. Um, I, I, my, my thought, my philosophy is if I'm up here working, it's not a waste of time. Like somebody might say, man, I've been working on this track for six hours and he said it's not at all what he wants. Well, but I'm up here working. I'm, I'm learning, you know, for sure. even if I'm learning how to do it, you know, there's no wasted time up here. Um, I agree. You know, and, and it's all about surrounding yourself with people you trust. Now I did have a guy call me or message me on Instagram. Hey, can you do remote tracks? Yes, I can do remote tracks. He says, good. I need one in four hours. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is new. I don't know who you are, but whatever. And he sent me a song. It was a really good song. And he says, hey, can you do like a Steve Vol a Steve Jordan kind of thing that he played on Vultures? And I went, I can. Yeah. I can. And I'm a lot cheaper than Steve Jordan, too. <laughs> uh, but I have a snare drum over here that is set up. Ironically, I keep it over here. And it's it's the if I need that vibe, that Vultures thing, that's the drum I use. Yeah. And I've got a couple of crashes. If I need that Steve Jordan sound, I put those two. I know I go to those two crashes. Those are the hi-hats. So I have a vocabulary. I have a, an inventory of sounds in my room that I can pull from quickly. And I got the track to him and he was happy. First take sent money. And sometimes it happens that quickly. And then there are other times, you know, I've done, gosh, man, there was one track 
and I may have done 50 takes. Wow. 50 because I just, I never was happy. I couldn't, I couldn't get the lope on it. Like I wanted to almost to the point of just asking him to hire a buddy of mine. Right. And you, cause you don't have that person in the room saying, uh, Jason, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. We've got it. We've got it. You're fine. <laughs> I, I didn't know how valuable that was because I grew up in studios. I grew up yeah. playing studios. There's a guy behind the glass and he gives you thumbs up or thumbs down and you trust him. You know, you may not like him, but you trust him. And together you get the product. You, when you're in your studio at home, it's just you and the crickets. Um, and, and you're your own worst critic. So it could be oh. it's it's the worst. I'm so bad to myself. <laughs> really, man. It's like, man, is that really good? I actually asked Rick Morata this question. Oh, cool. I was at, uh, Rick, Rick Morata was doing a clinic at Drum Paradise. So a big plug out to Drum Paradise in Nashville. Harry oh, oh, just like a year ago? Yeah. Were you there? I was not there, but I spoke to him just shortly after that. Man, Harry, Harry's just... He's great. What a, what, a, what a thing he's got there. But I was talking to Rick Morata... And I said, how do you know when it's good enough? Mm. How do you know? You know, where does that where does that confidence come from? Or where does that whatever come from? And his his answer was classic, because he's Rick Murata. He can say this. He goes, When you say it's good enough. Hmm. And, and I'm gonna tell you, Rick Murata saying it's good enough is different than Jason Cooper saying it's good enough. It just is. I mean but but I did take that to heart. You know, when I listen to something and my head's bobbing and it's grooving and, and the hi-hat's in the lope and the kick drum's right, it's right. Yeah, okay, so yeah, exactly. I think that's what makes it difficult to know when to stop, you know, to know. But but yeah, you're right. You 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 do know, and it, it feels good. You're like, that's me. That sounds good. Yeah, I just needed, you know what, it's so funny as... I'm still a kid. I'm still a fan of drums. I'm still a fan. I'm still a fanboy of my favorite drummers. Uh -huh. So when Rick Morata says when it's good enough, it's good. En it's good enough when you say it is. All I needed was his permission to have the confidence to know when it's ready. I just needed somebody else that I respect to say it out loud. Yeah. The, you know what? And that's another thing about the room, too. I have fought this room trying to get the best sound out of it. And it's like, ah, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. It's not great. Aaron Sterling messaged me back one time. God bless him. Cause he doesn't know me the time of day, but I made a comment about my room and he says, there's no such thing as a bad room. There's just not. <laughs> uh, every room has a sound, figure out how to make it sound great and make that room sound great. Yeah. And, and again, I just needed somebody that I respect to give me permission to like my room. I had that similar experience with Christian Pascal, who said the same thing. He is, we were interviewed in his beautiful studio. And I said, yeah, I've got this small room. He said, it doesn't matter. Make it work. Stop waiting for that room to be the perfect room. Start recording. And I'm like, right. you're right, man. What am, why? Why am I, this isn't my room. My house is not Oceanway. Get over it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And and it's funny because I had the conversation with Rick Murata. I received the comment, the feedback from Aaron Sterling at about the same time. And I saw a YouTube clip of a guy doing various overhead mic placements. So I tried every one of them. And I found that by altering my overhead placement, 
this room just came together. It was butter. So Aaron was right. There's no such thing as a bad room. I was just using the wrong, the wrong mic placement. So if you could describe your room, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing what it, what it is based on the pictures and the Instagram posts. But could you describe the room and, and how you found that or what, what your setup was? So for anyone that's listening, maybe they can totally relate and, and pull some ideas from your experience. Sure, sure. Okay, so let me just go ahead and and all the visions of grandeur that people have or that people think you are or think you have or whatever, let me just get rid of that. Let's just set all that aside because there's nothing grand about my room. <laughs> my room is the bonus room in my home over the garage, okay? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the dimensions are 14 feet wide and 21 feet long. So it's actually a pretty good size room, okay? It's not terrible. It's better than a closet, right? Right. 14 feet by 21 feet. And it's got, you've seen a million of these. It's It's got like the, the farmhouse, the barn ceiling. Right. Where it, it has a regular ceiling and then, and then it swoops down on both sides. Right. What's interesting is it does give the room a certain characteristic. Um, and then I went through and I put treatments. I have four, uh, is it Owens Corning? Is that what it's called? I think so. The foam, I had those. I, you know, I, my wife, God bless my wife, man. She was instrumental in making this room happen. So I put some some fabric on them, got them looking good. I've got four on each wall. I've got two in each corner. I have some very heavy drapes behind the drums. And I put two more Owens Corning panels on the ceiling over the drums for a cloud because I was getting a lot of reflections. Um, so that really dried the room up. So now that my room is kind of tamed... Uh, I use an over the, my mic situation. My overhead is I have one not over the snare drum, but kind of more over the hi hat, really. Um, and then the the other one, and s- instead of having like a stereo pair, mm-hmm. this is a variation of the recorder man, which is the second mic is not over your ride cymbal, but it's kind of over my right shoulder, facing down at the snare drum. Okay. So again, it's kind of like your Nashville handshake. It's hard to it's hard to visualize this <laughs> in this format, but I'll tell you, when you have a stereo pair, you split the snare you split the drum set over the snare drum from left to right. Yeah. Well, my drum set, let's face it, there's just more stuff on the right side of the kit. Right. So so what I did is so if you're looking down on your drum set, turn it clockwise forty five degrees. So now I have an imaginary line running through the snare drum and the second tom-tom over my bass drum and the ride cymbal. Everything on my right-hand side goes in the right-hand side. Everything else goes to the left. So in, so instead of splitting the, the drum set in half from side to side, I split it in half from a 45-degree angle. I see. And it works. It's uh, you'll see it in my videos. If you look at that second mic, it's it's in most of my videos. Uh, but when I made that that one change, this whole room just popped. It just happened. Yeah. Um, and then you know, learning about close mics. By the way, um, and I'll say this just kind of a, a plug for a company. I don't I don't have a relationship with them, but SE Electronics has got some phenomenal drum mics. Hmm. Um, that are not that expensive and they really, they really kind of got me up and running just because they're, they're foolproof. They're, they're, they're 
they're Cooper proof <laughs> in, in that regard. Um, the isolation is great, which helped. I don't really have to deal with isolation and all that. Um, so between the room, which is long, it's not wide, it's long. Mm-hmm. And the funky ceiling, everything just kind of came together in its own strange way and made hopefully what is a unique sound. Sure. Well, it sounds good, man. I mean, it sounds. Thanks. And if and <laughs> I guess my opinion doesn't matter. I'm not uh, asking you for tracks and paying you. It's those people who are are appreciating the sound. Yeah, they they do. And and uh, some people even ask me to mix my own drums. Which which baffles me, man. I mean, because I have a very modest setup. I only use one plug-in when I mix. I just EQ it, a little bit of compression, and that's it. And what DAW uh, are you using for that? Logic. Okay, yeah. Logic. And are you using their stock plugins for the EQ and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know it's dreadful, man. No, it's completely un- uncivilized, man. Just I just use <laughs> stock stuff. Um, I don't think it, so. I, I, it's funny. I'm getting a lot of pushback because I think stuff that comes stock, people often disregard it. But I don't. I've heard so many professionals say, "Look, Logic, there, there's some good stuff under the hood." There, you know, a lot of people think, "Well, you've got to buy this. You've got to buy these third-party plugins." But you know, if you're using for certain applications, the stuff that comes with, I mean, I use Logic as well, so that's what I know. But I mean. You know there's stuff in all these different DAWs that work just fine, especially for what most of us are trying to accomplish in sure. sending these mostly raw uh, tracks. There is there's a guy in town. Now this is another situation. There's a guy at actually actually he's not in town. He's in Mississippi. But we uh, we did a live tracking session a couple of weeks ago at a studio called Farmhouse studios in moscow tennessee it's owned by uh some friends of mine named brian and steve and it's a great little facility um and we we track live the rhythm section comes in we have coffee we take notes and we track uh, which is total old school and i love it <laughs> um but the for this conversation i'll just say last night i was hanging out with uh the producer and the engineer and they were mixing everything and I, I see the equipment that they use and the drum sounds that they got. I use a four-ply Pearl kit on that one and a buyer snare drum. And the sounds are just remarkable. But they have phenomenal gear. Yeah. They, they, they have the gear and they have the expertise that I don't have. They have the, they, they have the, the brilliant hearing and, and the way that they visualize sound. Now... I say that to say this. When I mix drums, because I don't know about all that, I'm almost kind of better off. I just want sure. the snare. I just want the snare drum to sound crisp and to sit in the right place. Mm-hmm. So, because I don't have all of that, and again, I, I do. I do want to learn all that. I do want to have all that gear. But for now, I just want the drums to sound clean and pure. And then if I want to add way too much reverb, then that's my prerogative. <laughs> um, but Logic is great. And the only reason I use Logic is because when I first started recording, I had I had a, a Focusrite interface and a laptop with GarageBand on it. Seriously. Sure. I mean, so I, I would set up mics and move them around the room and just try to figure out what worked and what didn't in that, in that primitive setting. 
So when I began recording professionally, the logical step was logic. Right. Thus the name. <laughs> yeah, you're right, right, exactly. And it's it's very intuitive for drummers. Yeah. So I'll say this too. Um, I don't know how we're doing on time. Just yeah. uh, I'll I'll just throw this out. Part of owning part of doing anything is having the right tools. Um you know, you can't take one screwdriver and fix everything. You have to have a hammer. You have to have the pliers, you know. And and you can go crazy, and I've certainly done that in my day too. But I would say this to anybody wanting to do this, treat your room, spend the money on the foam, treat the room, get a great sound and drum set, learn how to tune it. Uh, I'm amazed at how many drummers don't know how to tune their, their own instrument. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have worked with many great drummers in the drum tech capacity. And you have to know how to set the drum up so that you get a good sound. Mm -hmm. You have to know what the difference between a one ply maple snare is and a six and a half buyer or a, a 20 ply 13 inch odory or a whatever. And, and you have to have that, that inventory and know what those sounds do. My biggest struggle was cymbals. I've played Sabian for years, and I love Sabian. They're a great company. They're good people. I've been to the factory twice. Love them. When I started recording in this room, I had problems right off the bat. Hmm. Sabian, the bells of Sabian cymbals have a very strong metallic quality to them, which in big rooms with great preamps is not a problem. On live gigs, it's not a problem. But in my small room, I figured out it was a problem. Hmm. So the way I figured this out was I was always, I don't know, the symbols just never quite made me completely happy. And then a, a guy said, hey, man, do you have old Zildjian's? I said, yeah, I've got some old Zildjian's. So I did the track, and there it was. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. The symbols the were pretty. The overall sound of the instrument was more um, balanced and homogenized, you know, to, for lack of a better word. So I thought, okay, well, I need to I need to look at this. So I broke out my Zildjian's that I hadn't touched in I don't know how many years and started playing those. And that just fixed another thing. It was, it was as big of a change as when I figured out how to set my overheads up appropriately. Yeah. It, it, was a, it was another quantum leap in my sound. So recently um, I reached out to – are you familiar with Istanbul Mehmet? Yeah. Okay. So they're not really popular here in the States. Uh, Agop, Istanbul Agop's really popular. Right. That's, uh, but the thing about Mimits that I'm really loving, and I just, in fact, I've got a flat ride on the way from California now. Uh, Dave and uh, Carl have been super duper to me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a quote unquote endorser. That's not the case, but they have shown me some serious kindness and their symbols really work in this small contained area um the thing that they do is they have a rare combination of both the new contemporary sheen that we like and that turkish grit that you get like out of a bosphorus or an agop or whatever mm -hmm. they have both in one symbol and you're going to be seeing a lot more of those in my videos man that's um, awesome and some of the Zildjian's. But again, it was just an accident. I would never have found that on my own. 
there's a studio in town I was working at, and and we got about three quarters of the way through the the uh, the project, and they had those sitting there, and I picked it up, and I was like, man, can we retrack <laughs> on Mehmet? Yeah, I mean, they had a whole, they had a couple of sets just sitting there. It was amazing. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. They were what? They were amazing. They were beautiful and dark. The, 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 it was interesting. The songwriter was just, he was a little thrown. He's like, I, I, I don't, I can't hear the ping. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's, it's so sweet and buttery and it's great. And, but it just, it just changed. It turned it, turned it on its head for sure. But it was, they were beautiful. You know, it's really strange because like a lot of things in society, we, we like what we're told to like, whether we realize it or not. Um, my daughters listen to the music that the radio tells them to listen to, that that social media tells them to listen to. And I think we do the same thing on some level with gear, you know. So so why do we play what we play? Well, because it's what we've always played, because so-and-so played it when we were a kid or, or whatever. Right. But, you know, the bottom line is if you have any product on a cymbal stand and you're competent and you know how to extract the right sound, you'll be fine. But – just like you said, this beautiful combination of both the modern contemporary sheen of a of a mass-produced symbol. I mean, you know where I'm going with that. Mm-hmm. And then that rugged, gritty Turkish sound that can only be made in Turkey. Both of those sounds are in the mimets. Um, it's like if you if you put an agop and a zildjian a in a blender, boom, <laughs> it's a mimet. It's awesome, and and I'm anyway. So that, I'm just kind of stuck on them right now. I'm going to start playing those for a while. Um, this is not a, a formal thing at all, but like I said, they have shown me some kindness, and that flat ride's going to be amazing. There you go, man. That's awesome. Um, and it's and you know we don't t- end up. I, I always say this: we don't talk a lot about gear, but then there's I'm always followed following this up with gear. But I can tell you the hi-hat is always an interesting subject when it comes to recording, whether in a studio or at home, because I think we've all had experiences in certain studios that sometimes there isn't a microphone on the hi-hat, where they're like, well, I never use it. I never mix it in. And other times people are like, well, it's there if I need it. And it depends on the track. Um, So, and then guys like Near Z are saying, well, I use a 57 you know, on my hi-hat. You're like, what? You know, what about an SM7? Or what about this? And then you're seeing Steve Jordan-inspired hi-hat sizes and, and different things like that. What's your what's your take on, on all that? Well, um, you mentioned Near Z using a, a 57. Again, that is unconventional. And, and I just want to go back a second to the whole thing about making your room. Everything's right and everything's wrong. So <laughs> if if Near Z had set up, if he was a twelve year old kid, somebody would tell him, "Hey, man, you might want a so and so." Right. But because it's Near Z, it's right. <laughs> I just talked to a dude who did a track with a bass drum mic on his hi hat to get a certain effect, and it's killer. Wow. So my whole my whole philosophy on hi hats the, the hi hat is one of the most beautiful parts of the drum set if it's played right. That's where your pulse comes from. That's where your lope comes from. It's the difference a lot of times between a good shuffle and a bad shuffle. Um, it's just a, a really beautiful part. So I spend a lot of time thinking about it. 
Um, I have two pair of actual hi-hats. I've got some crusty old Sabians from the early 80s. They're dry. They're super dry. They track really well. But they're that traditional short, bright cymbal sound. And I have a set of KZs that Paul Francis picked out for me years ago. And that is the KZ sound. If you're familiar with that, of there's course. nothing else like it. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe it's not appropriate for everything, but it's a good thing. It's a good combination to have. Most of my cymbals, my hi-hat cymbals are crashes. Yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, Garrett Goodwin borrowed a pair of my, I've got a AA medium thin crash over an AAX bottom, 16 inch cymbals. Okay. Garrett loves them. I loaned them to him and he left the country. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see him for a long time, but that's okay. Cause I've still got one of his buyer snare drums. So whatever. Sweet. Uh, and, and, and I've got a pair of Pisces also 16 inch. Uh, it's a, uh, sound formula, thin crash over a sound formula power crash. And that is a beautiful, warm sound, broad sound, but it still has that, that, and that, characteristic peisty finish you know mm -hmm. that little crystal sheen on the on the end of it um songwriters love those 16 inch sabians and they love the 16 inch peisties um i did get back on the mimet thing for a minute i did recently buy a pair of 15 inch mimet legends uh, from Hazel should, which is a used symbol guy out in California, an amazing guy. He knows the symbol stuff. Um, Hazel should.com. You need to check him out. Okay. Uh, and it's spelled H A Z E L S H O U L D. Super, super good guy. His, his cell phone number's on the website. He'll answer it every time. But what's really interesting about these 15 inch hi hats is that they, again, are two things at once. I can use them on a pop album with guitars and not get in the way of where the guitars are sitting, and I can also turn right back around and use it in a jazz trio. Uh, just an amazingly versatile set of hats. Um, so again, just by answering your question, you can tell I'm a big fan of hi-hats. Yeah. Uh, every The right sound and the right track, it, it goes a long way. And I always use, and I do say, I'm not completely dogmatic about a lot of things, but I always use an SE Electronics uh, SE8 small diaphragm condenser. Gotcha. And it just it, it just works. Yeah. Uh, now, as far as having the channel, I always have the channel. I always I always track the hi-hats. Um, and then if, you know, the, the client wants it, great. If not... It's up to them. That, it's totally up to them. I also have a trash mic that I send with everything. What do you mean by that? I just have a, a mic. Uh, I have, and I would not give. I, I would not give away this little secret of mine. But I have, <laughs> I have something in the hallway, going back to the other side of the house upstairs, and it has a cheap, raggedy, realistic microphone from Radio Shack from nineteen eighty whatever. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. But when you blend it in and EQ it. Yeah. It really gives the drums this really raucous, big, Matt Sorum, John Bonham kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's an awful sound on its own. Um, and I send that, but I send that with everybody. That's, and then you, they, yeah. They, 
you know, they decide decide if they want to use it. One guy actually, in certain sections of songs, he'll mute all the other channels and just use that for certain sections of the song, just for contrast. Right, almost like a compressed loop or something tricked yep. out. Yeah. It, yep. Man, I did a, a session not too long ago where it was a uh, you know top and bottom snare mic, and then pointed at the side of the snare was a late seventies uh, newscaster mic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it it was like a short version of something from The Price Is Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was cool. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what's going on here. There's, I was. Um... At Stack Studio one night, Jim Keltner, Steve Jordan were in town. Hello, hello, <laughs> and, uh, and there's a picture of Al Jackson Jr. behind the drum set, and Steve Jordan. He, uh, he said, "I hate this picture because it gives away the secret." And it was it was um, a vintage broadcasting microphone of the time, not like what you're talking about, but a different kind of broadcasting mic aimed down at the side of the snare drum. Mm. And again, if you if you have a keen eye and you know what you're talking about and and, and looking for, right. there's a lot of information in that in that photo. And uh, he said, "Man, I hate that photo. Nobody needs to know that." <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, Steve. We can have all yeah. your secrets, but it's still you. It's still your hands. Oh God! <laughs> man. It, yeah, yeah. And 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 Al Jackson Jr. Man, you know that picture of Al. It just breathes. I mean, that picture's living. You know, you just look at that and you can hear the groove and, and that era. And oh, it's, it's just, Stacks is a great place, man. Are you, did you grow up in Mississippi? Or, uh, yeah, about 30, 30 minutes south of here in a little town called Walls, Mississippi. Okay. Yep. Grew up in the kudzu. Gotcha. There's, there's so many great drummers that I've, I've gotten to know over the years and that have this Memphis thing, this pocket, the Memphis backbeat, you know, <laughs> I'm sure real. you've heard this before. It's, it must be something in the water. Uh, Greg Morrow, Marshall Richardson, just all these re- really great people. Cromwell. Uh, Cromwell. Yeah. I mean, just people that have become just, I don't know, very inspiring to me in my time here in Nashville, getting to know uh, more of the beauty of, of the South and, and uh, some of the what has come from it mu- musically, for yeah, sure. It's real, and I, I'm going to be honest with you. I spent a good deal of my teens and 20s running from that. Uh, my heroes were all from L.A. Carlos Vega, um, uh, Jeff Beccaro. Mm-hmm. Those guys, For the sure. LA, the LA scene is everything that I always wanted to be. So I ran from my roots, you know, the prodigal son running from the father's house to go, you know, <laughs> eat with the swine. You know, <laughs> I, I never, I never made it. I never could copy them because it was always disingenuous. You know, when 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 those guys played, the way they felt the beat was just so perfect and so great. Um. And what I finally came to realize that, you know what, Memphis has a very special thing that they can't do. Right. And I just, I don't know, man, I just kind of, it, it wasn't cool to me, you know, maybe because I was familiar with it. Yeah. I really wanted to sound like a guy from LA and it always sounded like something stupid. Hmm. Um, so, I, and that's another thing too, this, this time where I'm really comfortable in my own clothes right now. 
Um, there is something special about Memphis. There is something special about the Mid-South. Um, Stevie Wonder's drummers are from Memphis. That's mm. why. Wow. You know, um, we do. We, you, it's just a special thing. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Do, are, do you know George Lawrence? I just talked to him the other day. There you go. What a beautiful soul. Hey, and have you heard his stuff he, he did with Pages? Uh, I have not. I will send you the link. He okay. recorded one of the he recorded one of the Pages albums and for whatever reason didn't do the second one. And I think that was Picaro and Vinny. Wow. So Vinny yeah, Picaro and, and, and Vinny were on the second one, but that's George Lawrence on the first one. Yeah. I mean it's it's I've known George since I moved here and, and he was on the podcast early on. For obvious reasons, and uh, it, I, I didn't know his story of, you know, going from Mississippi and out to L.A. and being in the scene with a lot of those guys at that time. It was It's just a, an amazing backstory to what was going on before. A lot of us were even familiar with what Vinny was doing, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. Back back when he was still Vince. <laughs> right. Vince Caluda. Vince. Uh, Yo. Our snare drum feature of the week is the Buyer 4x15, performed by Nashville session player Mark Beckett. You uh, uh, did me a great service by sending a a handful of talking points and uh, not necessary, but at the same time, kind of helped me get inside uh, what you're thinking about these days. And one of them was understanding social media. And I know that we've covered some of that. You know, we've talked about just the power of Instagram. And and, and you had a post recently where you were talking, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to move on from this. I'm going to do some other things. Um, is there more to unpack with just the good and the bad of social media? Where where are you coming from with that? You know, it's it's well, a lot of that has to do with more than music. We we are our, our nation, our world is in political turmoil. There are a lot of things politically that are going on. It's a really ugly scene, and I'm putting some of my my energies um, into the more political side of things, which which is it's it's ugly. So I'm not putting it on social media as much as I was. Mm. Um, Are you, is that intentional? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I, I, at the end of the day, I want Instagram to be about my music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I was going to do a political page, uh, which would surely get me hunted down by the federal government, uh, I would just start a second page, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and not clutter up the music too much. Uh, so I'm taking a break from Instagram for the sole purpose of putting my energies in in places that I think need more immediate attention. Uh, we are politically at a crossroads mm-hmm. right now, and it's it's hard to to uh, focus on that when you're trying to you know talk about a ride symbol on Instagram. Um, hopefully, things will tone down and we can get back to being loving, caring, beautiful people again, and I can start talking about drums a little more. Um, yeah, you know, the whole thing about Instagram and social media, and I said this way before COVID, way before 2020, social media by design has the tendency to be misleading. 
you can really make you can really steer people to think one thing or another. So my only point about all of that is just you know just put yourself out there. Don't make don't try to be what you're not because uh, you'll get found out. You're going to get found out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and if I try to get on here and be the next Jeff Picaro, most people are going to see right through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only person I can be is me. Uh, I try to be genuine. I try to be transparent. Uh, I know some guys, you've never heard one of their takes without them being quantized because they don't want you to hear it. Mm. Uh, I put the ugly stuff out there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to hear the ugly because I'm a human being. I'm not trying to be anything other than a human being. Um, I'll give you a more specific example. A guy that I know, and he's a good dude. He's got a really cool page. But he told me he was flying to his grandmother's house to visit in Pennsylvania. And, okay, great. So he puts a post on social media with his favorite brand of drumsticks, taking the photo out from the plane across the wing, like we all do, because that is a pretty picture. And then the the caption was something like, big plans this weekend in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And it was to make you think, oh, he's flying up there to do a gig. No, he's visiting his grandmother. Um. You know, what's wrong with just saying, hey, I love my grandmother and I'm going to go spend some time with her this weekend? Yeah. <laughs> that in my book's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> oh, man, I miss my grandmother. Uh, you know, I would I would do anything to be able to have that that luxury. But, you know, so just little things like that. I just try to be real. Um, I don't try to hide behind any kind of pretense. Um, I try to keep the BS to a minimum, which is right. not which is really not easy because. You know, it's difficult. Do you feel like do you feel like diving into politics on social media can negatively affect um, potential music interaction or, or work? I'm, I'm I'm telling you, it will. Okay, <laughs> that is duly <a> noted. <laughs> <laughs> it will, you know, and oh, we're so divided, you know, and there's no way to be in the middle anymore, you know. So when you state your 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 views, you're going to, you're going to catch flack. And, and I learned that the hard way and, and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't have any problem standing, standing up for what I believe in. I think all of us should be like that. Um, but at the same point, you have to also understand that, you know, at some point people aren't coming to my Instagram page to learn about the election or to learn about COVID. Mm-hmm. They don't care. It's it's that's not why I set the page up in the first place. So why hijack it? So I have to be careful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tend to be maybe too, more dogmatic than I should be. But yes, you'll lose followers. Yeah. You'll lose clients. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it's been an interesting experiment uh, with social media. You know, over the last and not to get too far off the subject, but it, it, it I find it really fascinating when social media started to become more of a thing, I thought, oh my gosh, here's a great thing to try and let people know that I do this thing and and, uh, and and expand my network of musicians outside of the town that I live in and, you know, all this stuff. And I just, it was just, I don't know, it's, it's become such an interesting and regular part of, of our life and how um, musicians who rely on relationships and a network of people to stay busy full time, um, social media is a big part of that. And yet for most people, 
social media is a chance to rant and rave about whatever that it I don't know. So I don't know. I my philosophy is there are things that I I'm I'm pretty involved in political things and you know I've got my my podcasts I listen to and my family is involved in uh, social action and, and different things like that but we I think in general we try and avoid the social media aspects of it and and put our for lack of a better term boots on the ground and do things you right. know and, and and use social media f- for the other and and that's my decision, you know, and and I don't fault anyone for their other decision, but I, I guess I my point is I have really good friends and wonderful musicians that post things that I think give people the wrong impression of who they are, and I tell them I said, man, I I know your heart, I know who you are, and I and I know your talent and, and who you are as a person, and I'm afraid that people don't know that, you know. Right, and I've gotten I've gotten some of those comments as well from people. Mm. And again, you, mm. you you have if you trust that person, if they're valuable to you, and you have a, a relationship, then you need to listen to them because they're seeing something that you're not seeing. I've gotten that mm. absolutely. Hey, Coop, man, you might uh, you might be giving some folks a wrong vibe, you know. Mm. And, and if it comes from a trusted source, then absolutely, I will step back and. But again, you know, it's the same thing, same thing musically, same thing in any aspect of life. You need to have people around you that you trust to help bust your chops. Well, and, and you, you, you talk about the division in this country, and I, I, I agree with you, man, there is that. But all of us on so many different sides of, of, of all these different topics and, and, and um, uh, social issues, um, there's so many of us that have a lot more in common than I think that that we realize. And we can't wait for someone uh, to tell us that, oh, you guys you guys should get together. You're fine. Or, or have a solution for us. I, I had a situation in my neighborhood where my dog attacked the little dog like a couple times, you know, and it, it, oh, was, wow. it was my fault. And the, the lady just kind of freaked out. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I didn't expect this from my sweet English setter. And then her husband came over a couple days later and, and yelled at me. And I said, I, hey, you're right. I, I'm totally in the wrong here. And then he left and and I was like, guys, we got to keep the dog on a chain. And and then he uh, he came over later a couple of days after that, and he said, hey, I told my wife that I yelled at you, and I and she said I shouldn't have done that. I said, no, 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 no. You're my neighbor. We live here. We need to figure this out. And I said, my dog was not under control the way it should have been, and it was my fault. I apologize. We've made changes in this house. And he said, I, well, thank you. And I was like, no, no, no. Listen, we have to get along. We ha- we can't wait for someone to tell us, you know, that right. that oh, here's how you do things, and here's the rules now. You and I have to do this together, right. and it's been and it's been great, man. And we see each other, and like we're past it, you know. Right, right. You know, the the thing that's missing, in my opinion, and, and again, this could be another maybe another topic about social media. We're missing genuine fellowship. Yeah, we're we're missing seeing Mister and Mrs. So and So at the general store every Saturday. We're missing seeing, you know, whoever out in public because we're living our lives as a community. 
Uh, we're very isolated, and it's easy to be a butt when you're isolated. Because uh, I've, I've done it, I've absolutely done it. I've been that guy. You know, fellowship, real, genuine, face-to-face, handshaking fellowship, um, heals so much, and we just aren't there anymore. But I hope we will. I mean, I, I'd like. I'm hoping that when all this mm-hmm. COVID stuff breaks loose and people go, man, I want to go hear live music. Man, I want to go to the farmer's market. Man, I want to go to so-and-so. I hope that we re- rekindle that. I, I have faith. I, I think we will. I think we're all getting pretty um, stir-crazy and seeing people. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I, 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 it, it's, I think what's going to happen, musicians are going to get a lot more respect because we're going to have gigs <laughs> everywhere. Yes, yes. Yes. You're going to love us. Yes, that's right. Um, well, let me ask you one last thing. I want to ask about the, the Neil Bowen trio and some oh. of the stuff that you're releasing. It's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Neil and I, Neil's a Memphis boy. Uh, he and I have known each other for years. Uh, Neil was a guy in a different circle. Neil was the guy. Neil was the guy. In my book, I would never call him for a gig because he was too good. Um, and somehow or another, through whatever cir- sets of circumstances, we kind of discovered each other on different terms. And he asked me to play on one of his songs. And then that turned into two. And now we've recorded four more. So I guess I'm kind of the drummer in the Neil Bowen trio. <laughs> um, and thank you. I'm, I'm glad that you enjoy it. We've got four tracks that uh, that we're mixing and listening to. And we're going to put out an EP. Um, and it's, you know, it's music for music's sake. Uh, there's no commercial agenda, mm-hmm. uh, thank God. Um, we've recorded this at our homes. Every note on this has been recorded at our homes. Uh, we've mixed it ourselves. We've done all that. Um, and it's called Trio because occasionally three people play on it. Occasionally it's just two. Interesting. Yeah, 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 but it's not worth renaming the Neil Bowen Trio. You know, it's not <laughs> worth renaming it. You know, if, if Neil lays down a fat Hammond part, why would we call somebody else in to do it? So maybe, maybe you know, Neil is two thirds of the trio. His multiple personalities help out. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah. But but Neil's a solid dude, man. Solid player. I trust him with my life. Um, he and I uh, just gel on uh, so many levels. Um, and, and again, it's just an outlet for us to be, to be musicians and he is full time. I mean, he's a gigging bass player. That's all he does. And, and he and I've had the the COVID talk so many times and, you know, the stresses that he's been through and, um, you know, when he does a wedding reception, it's a major victory for him as a player. Wow. I got a gig, you know? Right. Um, but he's a, he's a dear soul. I mean, he's a brother to me really. Um, just a solid, solid dude. Um, and how can you not make great music with people like that? Yeah, yeah, I know. Just put your headspace in the in the in the it right does. place. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have an EP out uh, in the next decade or so. Um, <laughs> uh, and what we do, I'll let you know. I'll yeah. let you know when it comes out. Of course, it's got <laughs> it's got buyer drums on it. <laughs> Sweet. Indeed, it's got it's got buyer drums on it, and. Uh, Again, just going back to Jim. God, what a great soul he is. You know, it's it's so funny. I am surrounded by beautiful people, dude. 
Well, uh, there's there's probably a reason in there. You, I think you're being a bit humble about why it is that you're surrounded by good people. Well, uh, you know, just I'm just guessing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know you, you know, very well, Jason. It's just but. you know, you look around and you see Brian Hayes at Farmhouse Studio. You know, he has basically made me the house drummer at that studio. There you go. Um. And I trust him again with my life. He's a great guy. Eric Lewis, who's a phenomenal pedal steel, banjo, mandolin, guitar player. He uses me for those sessions. God bless him. Neil Bowen, Jim Byer. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you two other names that need to be mentioned. Rich Wiley at TNR Products, Booty Shakers. Have you used their stuff? I haven't. Man, get them. Yeah. Get them. Uh, I'll have some sent to you. Well, Maybe you can do a giveaway. Yeah. I know we have uh, looked into them and uh, for sure, man. I mean, it, it, they make a lot of sense for sure. It's a simple product. Yeah. It's 100% effective. It's inexpensive. But again, back to Rich. Rich is, Rich and I talk on the phone. He's just a beautiful guy. JC at Drum Tax. I don't know if you're familiar with Drum Tax. A little totally. Totally. And JC's, yeah, he's been, uh, again, a cheerleader and a champion of this podcast uh, from the very beginning. JC is a doll. I mean, he's just he's just a solid dude. And again, I I just look around and I give thanks for whatever reason these people have chosen to let me be a part of the of the of the party, you know. And mm -hmm. it's just it's just wonderful. Neil Bowen, of course, being no exception. You can't you can't get through this without these kinds of guys around you and guys and gals, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're we're lucky, brother. We're 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 lucky to be here. Well, we are. And um, I think that just kind of reinforces your point. You know, when we were kind of going off on our uh, uh, social media and, and political divisions, I think musicians have a, a bit of a leg up on, on this, uh, this thing that we're all dealing with and, and that we know how to look past that and find the value in those connections that we make you know, those honest connections that we make with each other, you know. Well, because, you know, when, when you groove with somebody, mm -hmm. especially as a musician, man, when you play when you play pocket with somebody, you connect in a way that nobody, you, nobody else gets it. Yeah. Nobody else gets that. Right. You know, uh, even if it is remotely, you know, but we do, we have a leg up. We have a leg up on a lot of things. I mean, go back to the early music of the, of the 50s and 60s and 70s. Yeah. And all that turmoil. Oh that, yeah, that's some great music. Yeah, yeah, and it's I, I just I don't want that turmoil again just to get the good music out of it. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think we'd be okay without it. Yeah, I hear you, man. Well, like you say, connection and shaking a hand—that um, sounds good to me. And uh, I so appreciate your time, especially just being as busy as you are and and all the things. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. My pleasure, sir. God bless you. Hey, thanks, man. I'll be in touch for sure, but you have a have a good night and good rest of your week. You too, sir. Thank hey. you so much. Thanks, Jason. Talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it, my conversation with Memphis drummer Jason Cooper. I hope you don't need to see him for his day job anytime soon as an x-ray technician. It probably means something is not great with you. So uh, I hope you see him in uh, better circumstances or maybe visiting the Memphis Drum Shop or when he makes his trips up to Nashville 
to Forks or Nelson's or one of those other places. So, But I appreciate him taking some time to speak with us. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview for a mystery guest. Uh, actually, I'm not really sure who he's interviewing next week, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be great. So check that out next week. For now, uh, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate everyone's feedback. I appreciate the support from our listeners, as well as James Beyer, over these many months. But for now, stay well, stay positive, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.